Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello, everyone. I'm Tina Horn, and this is why are people into that? Well, this is our third episode, and it's starting to look a little more formidable over on whyarepeopleintothat.com, with all the dirty themes and sexy pictures of my brilliant guests. Speaking of the website, a lot of people have been asking me how I got such a gorgeous site, and I'll tell you, I definitely could not have done that by myself. Justin Levesque is a friend of mine, and he designed wirepeopleintothat.com and helped me out enormously. I do pretty much everything that has to do with the sound engineering and production of the podcast all by myself, but it is so important for me to have friends to collaborate with, and I really recommend Justin's design skills. You can find him at shopgeometry.com. So, when I think about sex slaves... I have to confess, the first thing I think of is that Britney Spears song that came out when I was in college, but if I think a little bit more about it, I always end up at Laura Antoniou and the Marketplace series. I would tell you all about these fabulously filthy books, but I'll just let Laura describe them in her own words a little bit later in the episode. This is a really special episode because if you are a perverted writer like me, Laura is totally a living legend and it was so nice of her to talk to me about erotic service, something she's been writing fiction and nonfiction about for decades. I knew that she would have some really smart insight into domination and submission, and I'm fully aware that she is really fucking funny and sardonic, but I didn't actually expect that she would end up sharing so many really romantic personal stories. Since we talked, I've been thinking about service and love and care differently, and I hope that our conversation surprises and stimulates you too. So, fasten your bondage serving trays to your collars and get on your knees for why are people into sex slaves? Cool. We are recording. Um, so I'm Tina Horn and uh, I'm here with Laura Antonio, um, who I'm very excited to have as a guest on the show. Would you like to say hi, Laura? Hi, Tina. Hi, everyone. Um, so a little bit about Laura. Um, uh, she is the author of the Marketplace series, perhaps be- best known for um, the Marketplace series, which is celebrating its 20th anniversary. Uh, Last this- August, yeah. Yeah, that's so exciting. How do you feel about that? Well, I feel uh, pretty groundbreaking, considering that everyone is agog over the whole Fifty Shades thing. And mm. I'm sorry, I was doing it when the protagonist in those books was an infant. <laughs> 
Um, can you talk a little bit about, just as like a basis for comparison for people who might not be familiar with the marketplace, what are some things that differentiate it from, say, Fifty Shades of Grey? Well, the Marketplace series of books is about a, uh, a secret worldwide organization that recruits, trains, and then sells consensual slaves. Um, so it has a lot in common with uh, a still earlier piece of erotica from Anne Rice called Exit to Eden, and an earlier one from that, uh, I Once Had a Master and In Search of a Master, and uh, well, the whole, all the master books by John Preston. Um, and uh, the first one came out in 1992 uh, called The Marketplace. I then wrote some sequels, The Slave, The Trainer, The Academy, The Reunion came out in, I think, 2001. And, and uh, you're working on the sixth one right on now. On the sixth one right now, yes. And what's that one going to be called? It's going to be called The Inheritor. Cool. Um, and your most recent book is The Killer Wore Leather, is that That's right? That's correct. And I, I read that book um, this year, and I really loved it. Um, I felt like I learned more about leather and the leather scene from reading this satirical murder mystery genre of fiction than any leather event that I've actually been to, so um, I, I, I really loved it. And you're also working on a sequel for that as well. Yes, yeah, The Killer Wore Leather was received very well. It, uh, run, it, it won a Rainbow Award for Best Lesbian and Gay uh, Mystery back in December. Um, I'm crossing my fingers and hoping for a Lambda nomination this year. Um, and uh, yeah, I have a contract from Cleus for the sequel, which will be called Menage a Murder. <laughs> Awesome. Um, so that is, um, you know, all of this is to say you are more than qualified, and for this and many other reasons, um, to talk about the subject that we chose um, for today, for Why Are People Into That, um, which is the idea of service, um, erotic service, DS service, um, and I think that the um, launching off point that, um, that I wanted to sort of choose is... Um, why are people into sex slaves? Um, so can you talk a little bit about um, what you think of when you think of the idea of a sex slave? Well, what I think of and uh, what the general public thinks of, whether or not they're Fifty Shades fans or not, um, might be a little different. Most people, when they think of sex slaves, first of all, they tend to think of women. Mm. Um, second of all, they tend to think of um, a skinny uh, woman with big breasts and something like a harem girl outfit. Mm. Um, but probably white. Yeah. Oh, definitely white. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, fair skin, big breasted, that sort of thing, who uh, performs oral sex on demand. Um, but the fact is that a sex slave would be, by my definition, any person who provides pleasure in the pursuit of orgasm for someone else. Sometimes selflessly, sometimes in co cooperation, but their number one priority is to facilitate the potential for orgasm for someone else, at their direction, for their benefit. That's a sex slave. So, I, I suppose the, the appeal of that, when you put it that way, um, is pretty self-evident, um, but maybe we can break it down a little bit and talk about maybe what, you know, why would somebody be into having a sex slave? You know, what, what would be the, the appeal? Obviously, 
you know, orgasms whenever you want is um, on the table, but also a great deal of responsibility um, as well. So, you know, what maybe we can talk about the appeal and then we can maybe also talk about practically what that might actually look like outside of the realm of fantasy. Well, the appeal in the role, in the realm of fantasy is that you have someone who you actually don't have to communicate with. Mm. This is someone who will just do what you want. Now, to a lot of people, that's a very common masturbatory fantasy, right? It, it's, it's your fantasy lover who comes and does precisely what you need to get them off. And you don't have to go through all the messiness of real life. You don't mm. have to negotiate with them. You don't have to admit your fantasies. You don't have to tell them, you know, harder, faster, deeper, or whatever it is you want. They just magically know. And you don't have to necessarily cater to, to their, their desires, their right. needs. Yeah. You don't have to worry about how they get off um, or whether they want something that you aren't necessarily into or whether they're tired or whether you're tired mm -hmm. or yeah etc cetera, etc cetera. um in real life uh someone may want uh, a sex slave or someone in service to them who performs erotic duties uh because they get off on the power on on the ability to tell someone to do something and have them do it and let me tell you power expressed intimately very very sexy i right? agree with that um it's one thing to, to have economic power, it's another thing to have political power, but the power to direct someone in as intimate and personal act as, as your own sexuality um, is its own turn-on. Um, and people who are tops, dominants, whatever you want to call them, um, do have a fetish or a preference or an identity that makes that extra rewarding. Um, another reason why you might want that is to just spice up your love life from time to time. Mm. Um, I, I teach a whole class that's just designed for people who want to bring DS or dominance and submission into their bedroom. Mm. They, they don't want to do all the mess with 24-7 contracts and total power exchange and master and slave stuff. What they want is to have some kinky sex. Mm. And the thing they're going to use to make it kinky is gonna, they're going to inject it with a little power some dominance, some submission, uh, whether they're role-playing or, or, um, or not, um, there will be an aspect where one person gets to command, the other person gets to submit and be obedient and, and, uh, and, and pleasing, and, um, and it's perfect for about the length of time it'll take to get someone off, if not everyone. And so then what, so where is, now that we're talking about couples, you know, so where is the appeal for the person who is enslaved, if you will. Um. Well, here's, here's the dirty secret of the whole BDSM community, okay? A lot of people will say, well, the submissive is in charge, and they mean it in the sense of safety. Hmm. Because uh, basically, once you get into negotiating BDSM-type sex, um, the person who's getting tied up and beaten usually has a way to get out of it. I call that speaking. <laughs> And usually, they get out of it by saying, I'm done, I'm over, my wrist hurts, I gotta pee. Or they may use magical safe words if they're role-playing um, to end the action. And that's fine. When I say that the submissive in charge, uh, that the submissive is in charge, what I mean is that the whole thing is geared around creating an alternate reality where they become the star of their own erotic movie. Mm. Um, it's very funny, I... Uh, I go to public dungeons. Uh, I've been to them all over the world, play parties, that sort of thing. Um, and I always point out, 
who is the center of attention in the room? Mm. It's, it's the bottom. It's the submissive, the victim. Um, they're the ones who have the comfy bondage cuffs and the expensive uh, equipment that they're tied to or chained to or whatever. And, and the top usually works them over with very expensive toys until the top is exhausted, has tennis elbow. And at the end of that, the top is then expected to fetch them a nice soft blanket and a bottle of water and give them aftercare. Um they don't have to be in charge for the world to realize that everything revolves around them. Now, in the fantasy of the sex slave and, and the reality of someone who is putting things aside in order to serve someone else's pleasure, what they get out of it is that pleasure. They know that they are providing something unique for this person. It could be a gift of love or affection or attraction. It could be a little bit of altruism. Mm. A kind of, look at how great I am. I get you off this way. But, oh, they, they get a lot out of it. They, they would like to tell you that they're doing it entirely for you, but, oh, no. <laughs> this is quid pro quo. They're getting something. So let's talk about something that you were saying um, before we hit the record button, which is the difference between sexual service and other kinds of service. Um when I think about the concept of one person being in service to another, I remember um, the first week-long sex event that I went to, was that was the first time that I heard you know, a friend of mine saying that they were in service to somebody else and had that explained to me as you know, them basically being that person's personal assistant um, for a negotiated period of time. You know, these people were uh, outside of the realm of sex camp, they were basically friends or playmates, um, and they didn't have anything like a 24-7 DS relationship, but um, during that, that period of time, you know, one person was, you know, subservient um, with certain limitations to the other, um, and the idea of somebody essentially doing chores for somebody in, in service to them in a way that had a sexual component was like totally new to me at the time. I'm wondering if you can talk about that a little bit. Well, we have to keep in mind that there have been and always will be people who get a deep personal satisfaction from being useful. Mm. Um, and many of them just want to feel useful in general. They don't even want to uh, pick a particular person to be useful to. But their drive, what makes them feel good about getting up and working, is that at the end of whatever it is they do, they have produced something that's quantifiable. Mm. They can say, I helped people today. Um, we see it uh, obsessively. Roadies mm. are sometimes like that. Uh, you know, extreme fans could be like that. Um, we see it romantically, uh, sometimes tragically, if you uh, see movies like Remains of the Day. Mm. Um, there's a whole servant class depicted in the movie um, that is devoted to the concept of this is what you do professionally. You, you enter into this field and you are useful to this family, to this house, to this place. Um, people who are called to the service industry we don't think of that as an erotic thing mm. because, you know, what's so erotic about waiting table? And yet there are some people who will be ten times happier waiting table and, and will be excellent at it and be proud of what they, they do than if they had some sort of desk, jobby, a desk jockey job yeah. where they shuffle paper around. I mean, really, the, the idea of community service for people for whom it's not even their, their job, but something that they do their free time to volunteer to serve 
their community to serve something larger than them could be analogous to this idea of this person-to-person service. Sure. Um, volunteers of all sorts um, are definitely what I would say called to, to a service point of view. Um, they see what they do in a larger context and, um, and, and get a really good feeling out of their contribution. Um, and so the world is full of role models for non-sexual service, including religious service. Yeah, sure. Um, you know, priests and nuns and, and people who serve their communities on a faith-based um, system are exactly the same. Now, what happens when we take it into a sexually oriented world, like the BDSM and the leather community, the kink community, that sort of thing, is that you have these people who are drawn to these models of service, religious, professional, uh, community-based, and they also have a whole line of porn. And I'm in that line, but I didn't invent it. Sure. You know, um, I started reading uh, porn back in the the late 70s, I guess, uh, when I could find it um, and when someone would sell it to me. And uh, some of the classic porn has people doing useful things in an erotic context, even in the story of O, which is mostly about sex. At one point, they do tell her that she does do useful things. Yeah. Not many, but she, uh, it, it, it's, it's part of the structure of the household. It's a way to show obedience and outside the bedroom. And there's definitely that, that kind of stuff in, in Mr. Benson as well. Oh, yeah. 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 Besides um, having your like nipples distended, there's also <laughs> like you know fetching fetching the beer and uh, cooking breakfast. Yeah, and exactly. That sort of thing. Exactly. Um, I take it to uh, a greater extent in the marketplace books. My my slaves have a fetish for service um, that is so withdrawn from reality that they can apply it to any person they're sold to. That is the most unrealistic part of my books. Mm. Um, a lot of people will talk about, oh, but you have this fantasy world of real-life slaves. I'm like, you know what? Lots of people write about that. The most unrealistic thing about my books is that when my people are sold, they go. <laughs> 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 Whereas in real life, people have this nagging little thing about wanting to pick who they fuck. <laughs> um, but that doesn't mean that in real life, people don't have a fetish for service. And... Um, and I think what they get out of it is the, the feeling that, uh, that they are useful, that they have performed something of value for someone they admire or someone who they're sexually attracted to. Um, they particularly like it if they are seen or recognized as, as doing so in some way. And um, there may or may not be also erotic goodies at the end or on the side. Um, not always, but I certainly think if they don't come automatically, then at least the person should be able to go home and whack off thinking about it. Mm. So let's say that a couple is interested in incorporating service into their sex life. Where, what would be some good tools? Where would be a good place to start? Well, one of the things that, um, uh, that I do professionally when I teach is I, I teach a whole weekend workshop with a fellow educator named Midori, who is from San Francisco, uh, called Passionate Bonds. And we work with couples, triads, we work with all sorts of people who want to talk about adding dominance and submission to their, their lives. And um, since the sex part is also kind of important to me, um, 
I as always, it is important to many people. Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> I, I always ad- advise them to start with something small that they can use to flirt and negotiate with each other in order to initiate sex. So it may be something as, uh, as elegant as um, the bottom or slave or whatever you want to call the person who does the stuff, um, has to prepare the room in which they have sex mm. at a particular time you know maybe they maybe they are into the whole soft romance thing and there's music playing and there's candles lit and you know the petals on the yeah. satin sheets and yeah. that sort of thing or you know maybe it's the you know go into the garage dungeon space and rig up the bondage and take out the ca- the puppy cage and the mitts and everything else setting up the room in which you're going to play or sleep is a very um very basic activity very easy to quantify mm. you know everything's right or it's not yeah and um if everything's right great you have sex you play you do whatever it is you were going to do if everything's not great the top <laughs> gets to judge it gets to, you know, issue some sort of pronouncement or punishment or whatever. Mm. And guess what? That initiates sex and play and establishes the dominance and submission from the get-go. I like the setup for win-win. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah, I can teach a whole 90-minute workshop just on how to use punishment positively. Mm. <laughs> and, uh, and since it's a way for tops to express their dominance, I, I often tell people, you know, figure out a way to use it in your relationship to make it positive. And, of course, service is one way to uh, for the top to judge whether or not the bottom is worthy of a reward or a punishment, which, again, sparks more interaction, uh, returns them to the dominant and submissive role-playing. Um, and, uh, and I think it gives them something creative to work with. Sure. You know, not, not the same old, same old. Another good thing for, uh, for telling the, the bottom what to do, other than during sex and play, is in the aftermath. Um, I always tell people, you know what's really sexy after, se- after sex? Not lying there soaked in sweat. Mm. And so how about if one partner goes and, you know, gets some water, gets a hot washcloth, and, you know, um, uh, it cleans everything off or every one. And you know what? It could be either one. Because the top could be, you have served me well, my pet, as he wipes his lover down. Mm. And the bottom could be, you know, thank you for fucking me, master, as he wipes his master off, or whatever. Yeah. Uh, you make it suit your relationship. And um, and it's it's a really nice way of reestablishing intimacy before you slide out of that space again. Right, and so then within... So we talked a little about the setup and we talked a little about the aftercare, but also within the context of the sex itself, whether it's quote-unquote vanilla sex, sucking and fucking and so on, um, or uh, whether there's impact play or bondage or any of the other things involved, uh, you know, the uh, imagination of the people involved is the limit in terms of the top deciding what's going to happen and how it's going to happen and the bottom, you know, being a good listener and being obedient and um, that that design and that negotiation seems also to me like a way for people to get what they want more because it's also giving both parties and the negotiation gives both parties the opportunity to say what their desires and, and boundaries are before even getting into it. And then, you know, for example, 
if you've had that communication, then the bottom knows there's no question like, oh, does he want a blowjob tonight? Like, he definitely wants a blowjob tonight because he said so. Because he said so. And he wants it this way or uh-huh. that way or doesn't want it, et cetera, et cetera. Although you have to depend heavily on the ability of all the partners involved to be honest with each other. And to, with themselves. I, and, and with themselves. Yeah. Uh, to take the chance of being occasionally vulnerable. Mm. And also to be able to take control when change needs to happen. Everything changes. And if we go back to what we were talking about at the beginning of the conversation, you know, the fantasy of the sex slave who looks like I dream of genie and wanders <laughs> in and, you know, gives, gives the top a blowjob. Well, you know what? For some people, that'll be awesome. That would be the thing they want 99% of the time in the first six weeks. And about week seven, now what? Yeah. Now what? And without direction from the top, the bottom may be a little hesitant to, uh, uh, to initiate or add their own creativity because they're coming from the position of service. They want to be obedient. They want to hear what the top wants. And if they haven't heard anything new, they're going to stick by the same old, same old. Right. Even if it gets dull. And the top might skate by for a very long time thinking, well, this is great. We could have done something better, but this was okay. And then not actually have the uh, the guts to, to stand up and say, okay, this week we're going to shake things up and we're going to do it this way. And so... All of this kind of requires continual uh, wrestling with what it means to be in charge, what it means to be obedient, and risk-taking. You know, for, for the top to say, you know what I would really like today? I want to go down on you. Mm. And for the bottom to say, to not say, ew, tops don't do that. <laughs> well... Let's, um, I want to go back to the, the personal assistant concept, um, mm. and ask you, what do you think is the potential benefit for the, for the sex life of two people to have their service extend out of the bedroom into things like chores, into things like, you know, uh, exercises and assignments that don't necessarily strictly have to do with blowjobs? Well, keep in mind that most people, when they get into a relationship, split chores, mm. right? It, it becomes uh, an organic thing. Uh, it used to be assumed that uh, in a heterosexual relationship that uh, women mostly took care of things in the house that didn't require the use of hand tools. Right. And men took care of things outside of the house that didn't require the uh, cultivation of small, colorful flowers. Right, right. right. Uh, we don't live in a world like that anymore. Um, despite what Fox News says. Uh, And so what happens is people get into relationships, and um, when their lives entwine, um, they tend to do the things that they think are most important or that they most value. And then sometimes they find themselves doing things that they don't particularly want to do, but neither does their partner. And someone's going to have to do it. Right. And so they do it on behalf of their household. They do it for their partner. Um. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I, as a matter of consequence do most of the cooking in the relationship with with my wife. Now, I could tell you there are whole lots of good reasons why I'm home during the day. Mm. So I have time to cook. Um, I enjoy cooking, so that's awesome. I also cook so she can eat. Mm. I also cook so she has food to take with her to work. I also cook to show affection. Um, All of these things I do, not because I am submissive to her, but in a way, yes, I serve her because she is my partner. And so every person who delights in bringing their partner a cup of coffee on a Saturday morning because they're lazing around in bed is performing service. Mm -hmm. They're doing it because they're in love. They show affection. um, They show fondness because they think it's sexy. I mean, any number of, of reasons. And so those same reasons apply when you fetishize the service as well. It also seems like it it's a chance to bring the subtext of those acts to the to the fore and acknowledge them so that maybe one person has been bringing their partner a cup of coffee in bed for 20 years and the partner receiving the coffee has taken it for granted and not realized what an act of care and service it is. So when you when you name it and you describe it and you say, "This is my intention when I'm doing this," yes. there's there's better communication in like nonverbal communication um, between people. Yes, sometimes uh, my wife and I like to uh, startle an entire room of kinky people by saying that her service to me is that she works professionally so that I could have health insurance and work from home. That is her service to me. At which point, all of the coffee fetching in the world doesn't <laughs> seem to, to be adequate, right? Um, That's very profound. Yeah, uh, and it's completely true. It's completely true. I would not be able to be a writer full-time unless someone else really supported me. Um, who knows? Maybe this year will be my, night, my year for overnight success, but until then, I don't even make the equivalent of minimum wage on, on what I do. And so, yeah, she absolutely is in service to me by working professionally and, and being an executive. Um, and being, being a patron of the arts is yeah, certainly yes. a kind of service. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Or you could say that I serve her by creating art that she likes to consume. Mm. She finds my art valuable, and so therefore she provides an environment in which my requirement is that I write and create. So you could turn this stuff around in so many different ways. Uh, There is a fetish called the 1950s lifestyle (laughs) in which a lot of heterosexual couples are like, we want to live like the fantasy that was on TV. Right. You know, and and she's going to wear a dress and meet him at the door in her pearls with the martini and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, you know what? You're doing it consciously and consensually. You go. Yeah. Do it. You know, just run with that fucker. Personally, I'd gag. <laughs> um, to, to me, that sort of role-playing is, is best saved for not doing it in front of the strangers, you know? <laughs> yeah, well, there's there's no accounting for taste, right? Well, you know... Everybody's style is, is going to be different. As we say in the community, your kink is okay. Mm. It may not be my kink, but your kink is okay. I do love, however, that they, they're consciously naming it. Yeah. And they're saying, you know what? 
it's kinky, we're doing it. And I'm like, okay, if you look at it kinky, fine. Well, psychologically, it seems to me that every relationship, every romantic and sexual relationship is going to have um, certain power dynamics, and so for people who fetishize those power dynamics, who, who fetishize the, the way that um, that they serve one another, like I was saying before, it mm-hmm. seems like an opportunity to um, to really name what is happening and give a good give good exercise or good vehicle to the things that you are recognizing is already there. It seems like it does have the potential to help relationships thrive and, and be really healthy because you also know what you need to do to be useful, as you were saying, mm-hmm. uh, to your partner and what your partner expects of you. And it's also a way to explore fantasies. Yeah. Um, I tell uh, people all the time, you know, who who are your role models? Who did you who did you fantasize about being or being like, as you fantasized about serving or being served? And um, it's a broad, broad world out there. And um, the fact that we default to porn tropes, like the cocksucking slave girl, is is kind of sad. Uh, you know, my personal role model for service was Alfred the Butler mm. from Batman. Um, and I always tell people, I said, so if I was going to look for someone to serve, who do they need to be? They need to be Batman. They need to be Batman. <laughs> okay. And and when I boil that down, I need to think that I am enabling someone to go out and do something important and great. Now, they may not be saving Gotham City. But I need to think that my presence in their life enables them to do something that they think of as as really vital. And and that without me, they would not be able to do it as well. Mm. Um, and that's a very, very different model of service from the, I am a miserable slave, may I please, you know, scrub your bathroom floor with a toothbrush. So, getting into a slightly into slightly murkier waters, I'm wondering if you have any perspective on how to differentiate this kind of play from serious, harmful, emotional manipulation. Because, of course, this kind of, you know, some people perpetuate control games and manipulation on one another, you know, and that is not healthy and so the stuff that we're that we're talking about and we're defining you know does have the potential i think for very healthy relationships and can be a great tool for people to have better sex and to connect better etc etc but um you know some people are going to use that for good not evil so how do we know the difference well i think the primary difference is that um in a functional relationship there is continual communication you know, sometimes it's awkward, sometimes it's painful, um, but the partners are invested in finding ways to talk to each other. Yeah. Uh, one of the key elements of a dysfunctional relationship, let alone a dis- uh, an abusive one, is that um, communication usually goes one way, if it goes at all. Yeah. Um, or it's, uh, it-, it comes packed with threats especially threat of abandonment. Yeah. Um, And so I always tell people when the top is, you know, you will do these things for me or you are a bad slave um, is kind of a dick. And uh, and the people who say, you know, I'm not going to pay attention to you when 
when we are having relationship difficulties, I'm going to ignore you, and that is my punishment, they're just using emotional punishment instead of making it into a role-playing game and pulling out the toys and spanking someone, or, Lord above, having the lesbian processing discussion, which oh, is about <laughs> twice as painful, I guess, as a spanking. Um, but either way, that person's kind of a douchebag. Yeah. Um, and I, I do warn people that uh, if the top is using their position of power as a way to, to make you feel belittled or isolated or to make you feel that they are about to abandon you, or, or expose you to, to shame um, in front of other people by saying that you are bad in front of them, then they're a douchebag and they don't deserve you. Uh, of course, bottoms can also be abusive to tops. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, mostly by attacking um, the root of their vulnerability, which is the fear that they could be abusive. Hmm. Um, many tops will not go as far as their fantasies uh, tell them to because they're like, oh my God, I would be a monster. Or someone would see me as a monster if I told them what I want is you know, for them to meet me at the door dressed as a 1950s housewife carrying a tray of martinis right. while wrapped in saran wrap, you know? Right, right. Um, I can't tell them that because that's a horrible fantasy to have. Right. I, mean, I would be a bad feminist. Yes, exactly, if, if I had fantasies like that. And so when a top reveals their vulnerabilities to a bottom and says, well, okay, this is actually the horrible thing I want you to do for me, the bottom right there has an enormous amount of power. Right. The power of rejection, the power of ridicule, the, the power of social shaming. Yeah. Um, and, that, and, uh, and they can use that, um, not only to, to hurt feelings, but to hurt reputation. And, um, and so, yeah, the, the abuse can go any, in any direction uh, in a kinky relationship, not just from the, the top down, so to speak. Um, particularly if they take the risk to be vulnerable. And here I am telling you that taking the risk to be vulnerable is probably the best way to get what you want. Yeah. But we're risky people. That's why we do it. Yeah. Yeah. Because danger. Yeah. Um, well, thanks for speaking to that. And um, so what advice would you have for people who are single and are interested in, you know, looking deep within themselves and figuring out, do I want to serve someone? Do I want someone to serve me? And then finding compatible partners to do that kind of play with. What are, what's, what are some of your advices, both to how to find those people, but also, you know, wh where to start with a new partner? I think um, the first place to start is by parsing your own fantasies and and desires and um, I always tell people to start with their earliest ones hmm. uh, when did you first feel that that this might be an identity or a fantasy for you um, who were you in in your dreams what kind of a person were you what kind of a person did you want to be with um, because those images can be used to come up with the terms that you're that you'll use when you're talking about with other people like for some for me I fetishize a formal household service the the kind of Edwardian Victorian uh, grand old manor stuff um, I live in a two-bedroom apartment in Queens <laughs> okay I'm not gonna be hiring a butler anytime soon right um, but I do tell people that uh, if they 
wanted to provide useful service to me in person, it is almost guaranteed that I am going to want some sort of household care. Um, if they're going to provide it for me remotely, I'm going to tell them I need website design <laughs> or, you know, uh, graphics design, or I need them to research something for my book and, and that sort of thing. And why can I tell them these things? Because I've already thought about them. Yeah. So that if someone said, wow, I'd like to be useful to you one day, I can come out with a couple of things that I need. And so it's always wise for people to prepare just in case someone is talking to them about uh, what they have to offer or what they want. Uh, another thing to, to do is to, uh, to actually go out and meet some kinky people. Yeah. Um, notice I didn't say go online first. I, no, I'm telling you go out and meet some kinky people first. Going online first is the number one way you are going to get so distracted and sent running off into the woods um, in terror because there be lunatics out there, and yeah. they're all, they all have way too much time to sit online. And also the online is sort of this half-life between fantasy and reality where it feels more like you're interacting with people outside of your head, outside of the fantasies rattling around in your head, but of course people can still perpetuate all of the things that are you know, that that can only exist in, inside their heads when they don't actually have to interact, they don't actually have to deal with consent, they don't actually have to deal with the way that things smell and the way mm -hmm. that, you know, the, the grim the grim realities that, that actually ultimately, like, create more satisfaction with yep. real interaction. So, yeah. I, can... I tell people, by all means, go join FetLife and look at the calendar in your town. Yeah. And see what's happening in your area. Take in a class. Go to a show. Um, go to a party night. Um, go to a beginner's orientation. Go to anything where there will be other human beings in person and talk to them. And don't spend a lot of time online. Um, yeah, that's great advice. Uh, when when you are, if you need to or want to use online dating services, especially the kinky ones, uh, familiar, do a few targeted searches first and look at what's out there and what people say, because that will tell you exactly what you don't want to say. Yeah. You, you read the, you'll read these other ads from people and you'll read phrases like, we'll do anything for the right mistress. And you'd be like, wow, that sounds stupid. Hey, there's a clue. Don't use that phrase. Right. Um, and, and that's a great way to learn what, what not to do. Um, I always tell people, uh, make some friends in the scene first because friends are a much better dating service. Yeah. Um, and uh, once you're ready to start looking, you, you count on your friends and you say, you know what, now, now I want to meet someone. Also, uh, the scene, the kinky scene all over the world now has many, many, many opportunities for volunteering. And it's a great place, um, especially for tops, to get a feel for group dynamics and how people serve and how to manage people. And, um, and I, I, you know, we can't leave the world to being run by slaves because they will happily run the world. Um, and run themselves into the ground. And, right? and run themselves into the ground. And some tops got to get out there and, and pick up the weight and, and look good doing it. Yeah. Um, so that uh, the bottoms could say, ooh, I want them. And it's a great way to be noticed because otherwise the bottoms will all be playing with themselves because they're the ones on all the committees. And they'll, <laughs> and they'll be like, wow, there's no tops here. Well, you know, and they'll roll some dice and someone will wind up at the bottom and they're all having a good time. Um, but there's not enough tops in the room. So I tell tops, go volunteer because that's where the, volu that's where the bottoms are. Yeah, 
Of course. And and you'll impress the hell out of them. Well, and it, going back to the idea of community service, I mean, if you want to be involved in a kinky community because you're interested in service, then serving the kinky community is a very good way of learning about yourself and also, um, as, as you were saying, you know, witnessing other people's dynamics and, and getting examples and counterexamples and of, counter of, examples. of mm-hmm. behavior. Yeah. Cool. Um, well, do you have... Um, any closing uh, tips for you know, like a, a great a great exercise or a great reward or a great scenario or you know for for people who want to bring more more slavery, <laughs> more consensual slavery, and more um, more service um, into their sex lives, and and also what like uh, you know what people can get out of of such an exercise. I tell people, if you are going to be in a continuing uh, relationship where there is some aspect of dominance and submission, try to find something you can do every day, no matter how small, that is at the direction and for the benefit of the top that the bottom has to do and the top has to notice. I mean, mm-hmm. that, that is pretty much the structure of what obedience is. Um, and... This can even work for long-distance relationships. I have a long-distance relationship with a partner who I call Daddy. She lives in Connecticut. Mm. Um, I don't. And uh, way early in our relationship, she gave me a command that I thought was the stupidest command I'd ever heard in my life, um, that I should uh, send her coffee every day. Hmm. And and I said, well, this is going to be a challenge. How the hell am I supposed to do that? Of course, I said, it's like it. that's the fucking point, right? Right, right. <laughs> and 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 you know, I I was much more polite than saying, okay, how the fuck should I do that? I asked her, and she said, well, you know, you're going to get on. I think it was I don't know AOL, AOL Messenger or whatever we were using more right. than ten years ago, um, and uh, and type it to me that you're fetching me coffee. And I thought, well, this is the stupidest thing ever. And I, when I teach classes on service, I tell people, typing is not service! <laughs> right? Because, uh, blah, blah. So I, I did it, and it's been 10 years. Wow. Okay? I still send her coffee every morning. Of course, now I text it to her phone. Technology um, is really technology helping to elevate <laughs> service to new levels, yeah. But, but I, have, I have sent it to her in so many different ways. I have sent it to her from all over the world. I have sent her different coffee from all over the world. I have sent her pictures of coffee pasted on her Facebook page. I have sent her coffee by proxy, by calling someone else to tell them to yeah. text her coffee. Um, it changed from a silly thing I was doing just to show that I was being obedient to a hallmark of a sign of our affection and stability. That's extremely romantic. Thank you. Um, some people have told me so over the years, even though I still say it, I still present it as this bizarre thing I was ordered to do. But you know what? I did it, and I'm still doing it. Yeah. And it is such a little thing. It is such a little thing. And yet, if the power's out, if I can't get an internet signal, if I'm in Australia... And I've no clue what time it is in the United States, but I just woke up in the morning. God damn it, I'm sending her coffee. Yeah. You know, I sent her coffee by satellite phone once. <laughs> um, and the days when I miss, I feel really bad. Yeah. And Do you get punished? Uh, you know, not so much anymore. It's been 10 years. That kind of a, a, dyna- a dynamic has shifted dramatically yeah. with us, uh, which is all to the good. Sure. Um, 
we maximize our pleasurable times together in, instead of uh, role-playing aspects or aspects that are un- unpleasant um, because lives are busy. Yeah. And and so that, that has sort of faded away, and, and that's okay. Besides, there doesn't have to be punishment. If I miss it, I suffer. Mm, yeah, the punishment is is there in right. your own in your own mind. Yeah. And and I tell people if you have something that you do every day that reminds you both why your relationship is different or reminds you all, then you win. Something interesting about that that story just based on a, a few uh personal things that you've shared that I think is important to underscore is that some people can be in service to one person but the top of someone else or yes. you know like in certain days <laughs> they're they're the top in certain days that you know in certain relationships and certain environments and and certain ways and that that those kinds of identities can can shift for everyone and i think i think that that's important because i think some people put pressure on themselves that in order to really be the toppy top of Domtown that they have to always be that way to everyone uh-huh. all the time, twenty four seven, contracted, et cetera, et cetera. Again, like in the fa- like in the fantasies, in yes. the fiction that you write, in the movies that we that we see. Um, but and some people are like that, and that's great. And some people are twenty four seven slaves, and some people do have those only those monogamous dynamics right. with one another. But of course, then there are a ton of other people who are always versatile and shifting and switching all the time. Well, and you know, a great way for people to explore what they want or what their identity is in service is to remove sexuality and sex, sexual contact from someone in, in, in the context of their service. And so sometimes being in service to someone outside of your primary re- relationship allows you to explore it with greater freedom hmm. Because as long as everyone understands, okay, I'm, I'm doing this for the experience of learning how to blacken boots. Right. All right? It's an erotic experience. It, it's got a strong fetishy content to it. But neither me or, no, or my partner feel that this threatens our primary relationship. And therefore, I am free to apprentice myself to this master boot black yeah. and learn this skill in a, in a dominant and submissive atmosphere, you know, um, and it doesn't threaten the primary relationship. It doesn't change things. And then that person could say, you know what, that was really nice, and it got me hot all the time. And then I came home and banged my lover all night long. Right. Woohoo, we all win. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it, it is actually a, an interesting way to think about uh, monogamy and that sometimes we crave something outside of our primary relationship or our monogamous relationship and we think that the way to get that is sex but potentially you don't actually even really want to have sex with anybody else but you might want to connect with other people in a different way you might want to explore like say you're submissive to your monogamous partner you might want to explore being dominant but you your partner doesn't want to switch so you have the opportunity to explore those relationships, those friendships, that romance yep. outside. And yeah, I have definitely also um, have had personal experiences and I'm aware of experiences that that friends have had where then when they get to go do that, when they have the freedom to go do that, then they turn around and they not only appreciate their partner, but they find that their their partner, hot, like what they do have with their partner is hotter by contrast because mm-hmm. they had the opportunity to do something, to do something versatile. Yep. I mean, the danger is human danger. 
When you have a deep emotional connection with another person, there's always the chance you're going to fall in love with them. They're always going to, there's always going to be a chance that you're going to develop an erotic attraction to them that you didn't think was going to happen. Yeah. It's, it, the potential is there. But like I said before, we do these things because they're risky. Right. Um, do you have anything that you want to say in clo- closing or anything that you feel like we didn't touch on? Just keep a sense of humor about this. That's great advice. From from a long distance and even up close, we look ridiculous doing what we do. What we do. Sure. Our reasons sound bizarre. Um, our erotica seems very strange to anyone without this this bent to them. Uh, the fact that I can get excited writing a scene about setting a table is <laughs> is a bit odd. <laughs> right. Right. Um, so maintain a sense of humor about it and realize that in in the end, what really matters is is the human connection. And if it works for you, then you win. And if it doesn't, you, you get out as soon as you can, yes. with as much grace as you can, and you try again. Yeah, hopefully you set up one of those win-win situations that you described, and, yeah. and then everybody gets to <laughs> come hard and have that human connection and all that happy, healthy consent, and everybody gets off and... That's my goal. Yeah. More <laughs> orgasms for everyone. It's my goal too. Well, thanks so much for being on the show. Oh, thank you for interviewing me. My pleasure. Into That is hosted and produced by yours truly, Tina Horn, and underwritten by Smitten Kitten. You can follow us at Into That Podcast and visit Smitten Kitten at smittenkittenonline.com. Our theme song is written and recorded by my good friends, Pine, from Oakland, California. I hope to see you all in D.C. for Catalyst Con this weekend. Until next time. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.